So, could you guess, guess how many times the word hell is found in the Bible? Is it 15 times? Is it 50 times? Is it 100? Is it 150? Is it more than that? Hell, or some form of that word, a place separate from God, an abyss, a pit, is mentioned 167 times in the Bible. And through the ages, this concept, hell, separation from God, has gotten quite a bit of attention from art, imaginations, music, and our theology. So, does God really condemn people to hell forever? That's our question. When we had our staff meeting this week, and I reminded the staff that I, this was the question for this sermon series this week, that was the question in this series, the energy picked up. <laughs> the conversation got louder. Well, yeah, of course. We know the answer to that. And then there was more laughter as we shared how everyone can name certain people that we hope God might condemn to hell. <laughs> Maybe a few for real, seriously, like the evildoers haunting the world in these days. And then maybe others who were just teasing about it. It probably doesn't have anything to do with basketball, right? <laughs> what does it say about us? What does it say about us that we might want some people to be banished forever to hell? What does that say about us? It's quite a condemnation, you know? I'm pretty sure that we like the idea of hell because we also want and we also depend on a kind of sense of justice. We might even admit to finding delight in the idea that perhaps God establishes a place, a dreadful place for certain dreadful people. But we should be careful about this. This concept of hell and how we think about it. We probably should hope, we probably should pray that there's not such a place. Because who knows about ourselves, finally? We think we know, but who knows about ourselves, finally? And we should be even more careful when we assume God is going to do a certain thing. We should be weary. Because when it comes to God... Mystery is a better word than certitude. Mystery is always a better word than certitude. Too many people express certitude about certain things, and certitude, when it comes to God, and it's, when it's especially combined with this other word, hell, can be pretty dangerous. Pretty dangerous. Let's consider the first lesson that we just read from Matthew 25. We love this passage. We seek to be a Matthew 25 church. You know, a church that does like Jesus does. Uh, feeding the hungry, caring for the prisoner, loving kindness, walking humbly with God. What we don't usually talk about when we talk about Matthew 25 and being a church serving as Jesus served is that last section of this passage, and especially the last line or so, Jesus says, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. 
and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So that's one of the mentions of hell in 167, the reference to eternal punishment. It seems to be a dreadful place for dreadful people, but which people? Which people here? Take note, it's not just the mean and evil people. It's not just those people who perpetuate war or abuse children or even aggravate us. Jesus is speaking about people who claim to know and follow Jesus but do not serve alongside Jesus. Eternal punishment, hell, is reserved for those people who piously claim God but prove that their claim is a lie because they don't care about the human needs right in their midst. Hell is reserved for them, Jesus says. Matthew's Jesus does this more than a few times. Matthew's Jesus wants to motivate believers not only to believe, but to love and serve. Don't say you love Jesus and then refuse to love others. Don't say you believe in God and then act with certitude about who's destined for eternal life and who's not. No, the Jesus we meet in Matthew wants followers to show their Christians by their love. Will they know we are Christians by our love? By our love? Will they know we are Christians by our love? We hope so. We hope so. So does Jesus speaking about evil and hell and eternal punishment help us live with more love? That is the ongoing question, actually. Does Jesus referring to eternal punishment inspire us to live with more love? You might recall also the story in the Gospels of the rich man and Lazarus. This story is only found in Luke's Gospel. The rich man lived a lavish life. He feasted sumptuously every day. Lazarus hung out at the rich man's gate, covered in sores, hoping to get some food from leftovers from the rich man's table. Both men died. The rich man went to Hades. Lazarus, it says, was carried up to be with Abraham. Again, Jesus' point. It matters how we live. Do we share? Do we love? Do we care, especially the people who are right outside our gate? Or is it about selfish gain and personal attainment? These images of heaven and hell and eternity intend to shape our priorities now in how we live and what we do. This is what Jesus cares most about, how we live, what we do. We have lots of folks in our congregation who love faith and literature. The references to hell here and through Scripture, the talk of eternal punishment, Hades, things like that, may be more literary devices to help us understand the truth and the promises of Scripture. They are images employed to direct our living in the now, direct our loving, direct our serving, direct our faith, direct our life. It's like this. God loves you. Love God and strive to love what God loves. You belong to God. 
So learn to care about the things that God cares most about, the less fortunate, the needy, the hurting, the sad, the lost. When you do, your life will be full of depth and full of meaning. When you don't do that, your life will be darker and more miserable and bleaker and less enjoyable. That's the point. You've been saved by God's amazing grace that wraps us up and holds us forever. Therefore, be about God's work in the world. Be gracious. Be a blessing. That would bring you life and life in abundance. So what is hell? Do we believe in hell? Do we take it seriously? Here's how theologian Shirley Guthrie puts it. Hell is, and I quote, not a fiery or dark place of eternal torment located somewhere underground between United States and China. It is living apart from, it is living in hostility toward God and other people and therefore denying one's own true humanity forever. He continues, hell is living forever in the loneliness that results from the inability or the unwillingness to love and be loved. It is living forever in the frantic, self-destroying attempt to be what one is not and never can be. Hell is not a kind of eternal life at all. It is a kind of eternal death, end quote. Here's the main point to hold on to, I think. God is mostly interested in you, your life, your faithfulness, your compassion, your care for others. Some might like to emphasize that God condemns people to hell. That's not the main point. That's not ever the main point. God is always about life and love. And God is always calling us to life and love, not condemning us to hell. God is always about what we see in Jesus. Jesus says, come and follow me. It's an invitation to frame our very lives in a certain way where we love God and we love others. To frame our lives in a way that promotes the healing that Jesus stands for the light that Jesus embodies to share the hope that Jesus brings. Jesus says, come to me, all who are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. It's an invitation to draw us out from the frantic, self-destroying, self-involved lives and turn us outward to God, to the city, to the world, toward the healing of the world even. God is our help and strength. That is forever. We're called to do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. This is what God wants from us most. This is God, what God cares most about, not condemning us to hell. When we get to the end of the Bible, this long story, page after page, chapter after chapter, this long story of God's pursuit of God's people and God's calling God's people to be engaged in the world with love and service, when we get to the end of the Bible, we get this familiar verse, words from Revelations 21. They're printed in the bulletin too. We often read these words at funerals. 
Listen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this. For these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly and the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. We might say this is another literary device to depict for us God's beloved fulfillment of the whole world. God keeps working for a qualitative newness for all things. And this has been God's plan from the beginning. This has been God's goal from the beginning. Qualitative newness of all things. In God's good time, all that threatens us will be taken away. All that threatens will fall away. The sea, which in the Bible is an unpredictable and often scary place, will be no more. The holy city, New Jerusalem, will emerge. And that's as if to say poverty and racism and gun violence and despair will be no more. Death will be no more. Crying and pain will be no more. There is a new gladness that God prepares. That's the message. These are all images of God's anticipated beauty and relief and joy and hope. God's fullness and care all around. I will be their God and they will be my children. And then there it is again, that final verse. The part that we don't read at funerals. All the cowardly and the faithless, the sorcerers, the idolaters, all liars and murderers, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The idea of hell here, it's less about a place, eternal punishment, and more about how to motivate people to live with faith and fortitude, with love and commitment and service when Especially, there's so many temptations around and challenges around. Motivate the folks to keep focused on the qualitative newness that God is going to bring about. We want to keep moving our lives 
toward that qualitative newness, that glorious consummation, which includes aligning our very lives with God and God's purposes, not living selfishly, not living aggressively, not bombing people, but working peacefully for the grand qualitative purposes of God. God wants to motivate us toward life, not death. Our destiny is with God, and we want to stay focused on that. This idea of hell, friends, and people condemned by God to hell forever has gotten some recent really wonderful explication from two noted authors in recent years, two people whose lives were formerly caught up in uh, evangelicalism, conservative evangelicalism, and even certitude. Uh, one of these people is a person named Rob Bell, and the other one is a writer named Rachel Held Evans. So Rob Bell has written many excellent books, and his most controversial book is a book called Love Wins, and the subtitle is this, A Book About Heaven and Hell and the Fate of Every Person Who's Ever Lived. Basically, Bell dispel, dispels the idea that hell is a place that people go to when they die. He dispels that. He even got in lots of trouble with his evangelical former friends, I should say, uh, because he questions the traditional understanding of hell. There are references to hell in Scripture, 167 of them. But hell is not a final destination. God is always our destiny. God made us. God's love covers us. Our life comes from God. Our life proceeds to God. Hell is what we experience when we lead, lead lives apart from God. The truth is, as Bell affirms, the world is being redeemed, always. The tomb is empty, and a new creation is bursting forth right in the midst of this one. God wants us to be part of a new world that is emerging, God's world, living and loving. Wouldn't it be nice, he says, if there were signs on us, like evidence of our Christian love, evidence of our Christian service, evidence of our living in God's ways, sort of like the green that comes on your tennis shoes after you've cut the grass. When you've done that, you know what you've been doing. Wouldn't it be nice if there was evidence of Christian love on us so that we can stay focused on working for God? It's, that's the goal and the purpose, not being content, condemned forever to hell. That is not the purpose. Rachel Held Evans died way too early at the age of 38. She too grew up in conservative evangelicalism, and what she more, wanted more than anything was to be the good Christian girl, to tell people about Jesus and to help other people know about Jesus. But then, when her pastor sided with President Trump about separating migrant children from their families, and then when she saw the Taliban beheading a woman for adultery on CNN, a woman whose mere geography prohibited the woman from knowing Jesus, she knew she had to focus less on certitude and more on God's mystery. Held Evans' last book is called Wholehearted Faith, and it's pulled together by a bunch of her friends uh, of her writings that she had been working on before she died. And all of this shows an expansive, generous faith. God loves 
all of us, and we are off track when we focus on condemnation rather than the boundless love of God. So while there are many references in the Bible to hell, and even some threats about eternal suffering, what God wants is our hearts and our lives focused on living with God and for God, loving and serving in the world. That is what God cares most about, not condemning us to hell. We look for and we pray for the boundless love of God to prevail everywhere over all suffering, over all sadness, especially in these days, in certain regions of the world where it's most needed. The God of the Bible loves us and loves the world and loves life and loves wholeness, not death and destruction. We lean into these words. See, the home of God is among mortals. God seeks to dwell with us forever, not banish us forever. This is our hope, and this is what focuses us for faith and life and serving God today, tomorrow, forever. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your boundless love. Thank you for your continuing calling. By your love, by your spirit, may we respond to your call with faithfulness, sharing love and light, joy and justice in the world. Following Jesus. Amen.